Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. How are you going today? Oh, I'm super excited to be with you today, hanging out on the radio when you're uh, on your drive home or whatever it is that you're doing right now. Super stoked to have you. And I'm super excited because we've got a bunch of cool stuff lined up for the show today. And uh, one of those things is that we are starting a new Bible study series. So I am frothing at the mouth, just chomping at the bit to get into that because we today have decided that after our our little series going through kind of the, the back to the beginning or in the beginning series that we've just finished with the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I thought to myself, you know, last year we did Abraham and we did Joseph. So we've kind of covered a fair a fair bit of information that goes in the Genesis story. And I thought, well, you guys can go check that out. You can follow that up if you miss that on the uh the Faith FM app, you can check that out or go on the Faith FM website and you can go back and re-listen to those. But I thought, let's let's jump ahead and let's get into the Exodus. Let's get into the story of Moses and God setting his people free from slavery in Egypt. So we're going to get into that today and get into the first chapter of Exodus. Super stoked. Also, we've got our friend Robbie coming on. So it'll be Robbie Squared in a little while for our Testify segment. That'll be exciting. And um, we also are going to be doing our discussion topic today. So the discussion topic today that you can call or text in at any time your responses to, we'd love to hear from you, is how should Christians relate to competition? For example, how should we relate to competitive sport or other competitive pursuits? Um, love to hear your thoughts on that. And just a reminder that you can call in for our question of the week, which we're going to get to at the very end of the show. The last half an hour of our show, we'll get into that. And it's a time where we talk about your questions. So the first caller in is going to get a prize, and we're going to tell you what that prize is after the break. But super stoked to have you with us. Stick around, and it's going to be a great time. This is Francesca Battistelli, If We Are Honest.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And I just wanted to remind you that you can call in with your discussion responses or you can call in for question of the week by calling 1-800-FAITH-FM. I don't remember what the number is. Or you can text us at 0491-064-669. That was 1-800-324-843. 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can do that. And... um We've come to that time of the show where Shell and I are going to chat about some weird and wonderful things about the world that God has made. How are you going today, Shell? I am epic. Well, that is a good way to be. (laughs) This is fantastic. So let me ask you a question. Um, Well, I don't know what you're happy to say on air, so I better be careful how I ask this question. Um, How do you feel about babies? Love them. You love them? Oh, the look on your face. I wish I wish that you could see Shell's face right now. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm about to become a grandmother, so you. I'm very much loving babies. Oh, very excited. See, I wasn't sure if that was public knowledge on the radio, but it is. Yes. So congratulations. So if you'd like to... Uh, you know, give give a, a a baby shower gift for 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 yeah, Shell's right. coming grandbaby. You're welcome to do that too. Um, I wanted to talk about some fun facts about babies today, and you might wonder why, but it's going to come up in our Bible story today. The babies are uh, very relevant to our Bible study today. So, did you know? Fun fact number one: that newborn babies have natural aquatic instincts. Did you know that? Yes, I did. So what do you know about that? Well, that's why water births are are a very popular thing, and yeah, and when babies are born in the water, they can all, they can swim, you know, breathing under the water is just fine because they're already used to being in in water. That's right. Yeah, it's called the diving reflex. The oh, I'm going to try this really like Latin sounding word. It's the bradycardic response, which causes their body to naturally adapt to their surroundings when they're underwater. So their heart rate comes down slightly they uh instinctively hold their breath etc which is an amazing instinct if you really think about that that's a pretty pretty powerful thing all right what else how many babies not babies how many bones are babies born with you have any ideas i'll give you a hint i'll almost give you a hint oh, almost all of them. <laughs> um i'll give you a hint that the an adult has 206 dun 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 what do you reckon well, they would have almost all the same except for just where the little fontanelle is. Bum, bum. No. They, in fact, have 94 more bones than adults when they're born. 94. Did you know that? How come? Because a lot of the bones that we have now, when we were babies, when we were infants, were separate and they've joined together. They've fused uh, together. Fascinating, yeah. eh? Yeah. Super interesting. So you were born with more bones than you have now. They've just fused together during development. Some um, of us even more so than others. <laughs> now, here's another question. Everybody I think that I know, even people like me who don't ever want to own pets, love to see little cute animals, right? Like, yes. especially like puppies, kittens, all the baby animals are always like super cute, right? Baby elephants. Yes, totally. 
But did you know that human babies, human infants, are the only animals to smile? The only babies, I should say, to smile are human babies. Puppies don't smile. Kittens don't smile. Even baby elephants don't smile. So that's super interesting to me. That is very interesting. Yeah. Now, here's a funny fact. Here's a fun fact. What is the first thing that babies do when they're born? This well, supposedly cry. You reckon? I think, I, that's, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the answer I was looking for. That was the go-to. Yep. I think that's what probably everybody who hears that question would think. But did you know that for the first, I think it's three weeks, the first three weeks, babies cry, but they don't have any tears. Yeah. For three whole weeks. For three weeks. They're, they're crying, but they're crocodile style, man. There's no tears in there. They're just pretending. <laughs> they're calling out, they're crying, but there's no tears. But that's okay, because mom's put out enough that they can probably suffice for both of them. Yeah, that's right. All right, one last one. I think this, this well, well, maybe one last one. Babies will sleep on average 5,400 hours in their first year. 5,400 hours in their first year of life. It's supposed to make life a little bit easier for mom. Yeah, but the adults actually miss on average in their first year of being parents about 44 days of sleep. Wow. (laughs) So if you're out there and you have just had a fresh new bub into your life, congratulations, that's exciting. But our condolences go to you with your sleep. Buy yourself a good mattress and hopefully that will help you. But isn't it amazing that all of the potential for human beings God planted right there in an infant and that when they come out that way, Created in the image of God, God's got a plan for their life. This is Caleb and Kelsey. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds a future. Ah!
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and we've got my new friend, Robbie. And what's your last name, Robbie? I don't actually know. Robbie Bergen. Robbie Bergen. Yeah. Robbie Bergen. Robbie Morgan. There's a lot of similarities I'm in this room. You. We should start a show. We should. And we, you just call it Robbie Squared or something. I like know? it. I like it. <laughs> So, Robbie, we're super excited to have you here with us today to share a bit of a story. I'm excited. Yeah. But um, before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, I'm um, about ten months ago. I was invited to head up the content side of Faith FM nationally. So, yeah. I'm, I'm based in Melbourne. Finally, after not getting in there because of lockdown and all that good stuff, but uh, finally there now. And um, so, my role is to sort of oversee sort of how we we uh, schedule and um, organize our content across the entire network. And so, I'm sort of trying to get around meeting all the different presenters and different studios and things. So it's been really exciting. So today what I want to do is I want to share with you, um, in this role I get all this sort of feedback from our listeners and it is absolutely exciting to see how shows like yours and all the other stuff, the great stuff that's on Faith FM is actually impacting people's lives for eternity. So I want to share a story. I know this is your testify section. So instead of me sharing my story, I want to share a story with one of our listeners. There's a few I've got. We'll see how much time we've got. But I've got one listener that stands out. Um, I met this listener about a month ago. Her name is Janice, and she tunes in from a place called Coffs Harbour, not too far from here in Newcastle. It's a beautiful place. If you haven't been there, you've probably been there, right? I have, definitely. Oh, it's a I beautiful spot. Love Coffs Harbour. I used to live there like... 10 years ago, so I had a special place at Kosawa. So I get a, I get a um, message from this lady, Janice, and uh, she tells me that she's made a decision for Jesus and she's getting baptized. Oh, amen. She's man. taking a stand to get baptized. And I was like, no way, I have to meet you. And so it just worked out that I was in Brisbane visiting some family at the time, and so I drove down to Kosawa. It's not, far, not, not that far. Got down there, and I got to meet Janice. And... Hearing her story was just amazing. So I want to share just a, a, just a short version of her story. So Janice grew up in this area, Newcastle, and she had no faith at all growing up. And uh, she, she had um, a pretty hard home life, we'll put it that way. Just things weren't nice. She lost her mother when, when she was young, and, and there were some challenges with the father and things like that. And so the short version, version is, is that she left home and has started her life on her own, like age of 14. It was pretty tough. And she didn't have a sense that there was God. She didn't have a sense that there was anyone out there watching over her or helping her. And she tells me that the next, like, 15, 20 years of her life was just hard. She went through some um, marriage problems. She got married, separated. And, uh, yeah, she had one goal in life, and that was she wanted to own her own house. And it took her... A long time, but she achieved that goal. But there was something always missing in her life. She just felt like there was an absence of something. But she had no spiritual context, right? So she um, she told me that a few, going back probably six, seven years ago, she came across this person that told her that Jesus loved her. And she's like, really? Like it was like, you know, for some of us who have been around Christianity for a while, right? I, I didn't grow up in the church. I came into the church. and But for us who have been around Christianity for a while, the idea that Jesus loves you and God loves you is kind of like bread and butter, right? We all, we all like, yeah, no, duh, no, God loves you, right? 
But for Janice, when she heard that, just from a just a random sort of Christian stranger, it was like it was life shattering. Like mm. Jesus loves me, and so this sort of plagued her for a while. And so, long story short, she moves to Kofsaba, and the COVID thing happens, and so traveling around becomes a bit more difficult, and she starts thinking about death. Because, you know, COVID's happened, people are dying. Every neither knew someone's dying and numbers are just, you know, you can't even fathom the number of lives lost based on these numbers. So she starts asking herself about this death thing. What happens when you die? And so she's in a taxi in Kofsaba and in the taxi, the guy's playing Faith FM. She'd never heard of Faith FM before. And so she's listening. She's like, what's that you're playing? And the taxi driver who's not a Christian, by the way, but he's listening to Faith FM. He he goes, oh, it's Faith FM, local station here. And she's like, turn it up, turn it up. Because right then, on that particular moment, in that taxi, she is listening to a topic by one of our presenters who's talking about death. Now, you'd think, who'd want to talk about death on radio, right? Like, well, <laughs> it's not the topic you want to talk about. But she hears this and she goes, wow, this is amazing. Anyway, the presenter said, hey, I've got a free resource for anybody interested to know more about death from the Bible. So she calls in for the offer. That's how we know about the story, right? And we send out the offer, and one of our local Faith of Ambassadors goes and delivers the resource. And when he gets to the front door, he's got this free, I think it was a book from the presenter about death. And when he takes it to the door, uh, Janice opens the door and she goes, Hi, who are you? She said, like, oh, I'm, I'm the Faith FM ambassador. I'm bringing you your resource. She says, oh, never mind that. You tell me, what does the Bible teach about when you die? I've got to know. I've got to know the answer. So he's like, oh, well, okay, all right. So he sat down and he opened up the Bible. He didn't even have a Bible. She gave him uh, her Bible and he <laughs> opened it up. And he was sharing with her what happens when you die, right? And it was in line with what she'd heard on the radio. And then she... She was just like, I, I knew there was something something about this death thing that didn't make sense. And you've just answered it so it, it makes sense what you've described. And so he got the she she got the resource and then the um Faith Ambassador said to her, Do you like DVDs? And she's like, Oh yeah, I love DVDs. So he gave her some DVDs that went through not just the death thing, but about life. Mm. Life with Jesus. What it is like now, not just some airy fairy fairy tale and you know, heaven and all that sort of stuff. What it's like now. And so the short version of it is she found a new life. She she connected with the people there that were inviting her along to some programs in Kofsaba, and she made a decision for Jesus. She felt that he was real in her life, and she got baptized at the end of January, just this year. And so you. I'm telling you, and she, anyway, she told me, she said, when you travel around, you make sure you tell, I love our marriage project that we have coming out of this, this um, studio, love you and I think your wife used to be on the show as yeah, well. Yeah, right? Katie. She loves you guys. She said, if you see them, give them more hugs. I said, well, COVID, <laughs> I can't give hugs, but, you know. Well, our hugs are coming back to you, Janice. <laughs> our hugs are coming back. Hopefully you're listening today. Yeah, absolutely. So that's Janice's story. I thought it'd be really good. And then I've got a whole lot more I could talk about. I won't. But it's amazing to hear that what we're doing here at Faith FM is we're inspiring people to find Jesus and build their faith. And so, you know, if you're out there and you're listening and and you're one of these stories like Janice, we want to hear from you. We want to hear you. We want to help you. We want to give you free resources. We want to help you in your journey of faith. So stick around because these shows are totally designed to help you grow your faith. Totally. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing, Robbie. Thank you for having me on. And uh, such an encouragement. And I would just want to encourage all of our listeners to, yeah, 
keep interacting, keep listening. If you've got questions, send them in. We're happy to help as, as best we can by the grace of God. So stick around. We'll be back after Matthew Mole, You and Your Crown.
But it's not as real as it could be. Why, you ask? Because this isn't the live show. So as good as this is, the live show is where it's really at. Join us every Thursday from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. so you can be involved live. I've gone on a journey To the promised land I heard of Jesus God's only son It wasn't something
Welcome back to Real Faces, Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, we are just about to get into our Bible study after we take care of a couple of housekeeping things. So first of all, we love to hear from you. And uh, we particularly love to hear from you with your questions about spirituality, about God, about the Bible. It's an opportunity for you to send some questions in. So you can do that for our question of the week portion, which we'll do at the end. And today's first caller in is going to receive a free copy of a book called Praying Like Crazy for Your Kids, which is a little bit about how to pray for your kids, what significance that has in their life, and some just some some useful tips for how to incorporate that into your parenting. So if that's you, definitely make sure you call in and get your question in. That'll be exciting. And that relates to our story today. We're going to be talking about babies a little bit more. And let's uh, let's hear some of our discussion responses. What was our question today? Can you remember what it was, Shell? It's the pop quiz. You have... No, no. Okay, so the question, the discussion topic today is how should Christians relate to competition? And for example, competitive sport. What do we got there? All right, so we have, someone has responded. In the world we live in today, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. In the world we live in today, which seems all about competing with each other in all facets of life, how should a Christian act? If we think about it, it all started in heaven. Satan competing with God then with Adam and Eve, and then with Cain and Abel. It's in our DNA. It's called sin. Boom. That's a really interesting perspective, hey? Yeah. Because what com- do you think about that perspective? Yeah, isn't that interesting? Because competition in those instances is definitely sin. And, you know, I guess really one of the questions that comes to my mind is, is there ever a place for friendly competition? So maybe maybe we'll leave some more thoughts for that a little bit later. But um, those are some great perspectives. Competition can often be about building the ego, as it was for Lucifer. Um, and for all of us, that can be a, a temptation. So that's definitely not a good thing. Great. Love to hear some other responses. You can call or text in at 1-800-324-843 or text us at 0491-064-669 to send some responses in or to call in with your questions for our Question of the Week segment. Without any further ado, we're going to have a prayer and we're going to get into our Bible study. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for the privilege of your word. And I ask that your spirit would lead us as we read and study and that you would make application for our real life and our real journey of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus, which is the second book of the Old Testament. You have Genesis, then you have Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we're going to start off in chapter 1 and starting in verse 1. And a little bit of context just before we get into that. Uh, no, no, we're just going to get into it, in fact, because it tells us some context there. So, Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 1, and it reads, Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were seventy Persons, sorry, 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now, this is a really interesting introduction because basically we've got God's people 
who, who came from a place of destitution. They, during Jacob's lifetime, when we talked about the story of Joseph last year, we discovered that Jacob's family was in a famine that was a, wide, a widespread famine. They didn't have access to food. They had to seek food from Egypt. That's how they got back into touch with Joseph and discovered he was there, that he was alive, etc. And anyway, God brought them to Egypt through Joseph, and they were given a place in the land called Goshen. And Goshen was a, a a shepherding land. It was a place of pasture, and they were put into a position where they were shepherding. They were looking after these uh, cattle and all of the other animals in that space. And what's fascinating to note is that God blesses his people in spite of their circumstances. And I love this. The, 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 the book of Exodus starts with the story of how Jacob's family wound up in a place called Egypt, provided for by God, when they had been in a place of destitution. And I love this. So this is how the story starts off. And so far, it sounds like it's off to a good start. Hey, man, they're in this place. They're multiplying exceedingly. They're growing mighty. And they're, you know, they're, they're developing. They're growing their nation. They've got lots of produce. They've got lots of stuff going on. But often when that happens, not everybody is pleased. And so as we continue on, we're going to find that not everybody is pleased with what's going on here. And um, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. And this, after this song, this is Tammy Larson, I Give You His Heart. Wind is blowing down the quiet river
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, just a reminder that you can call in with your discussion topic que- uh, responses to uh, how should Christians respond or, or relate, rather, to competition. Or you can send in your questions for our question of the week. And the first caller, again, is going to receive a free copy of a book called Praying Like Crazy for Your Kids, which is going to give you some insight into how to pray for your kids and what benefit that might have. So if you're a parent, and you're uh, you're interested in that, please make sure you call in because you have access to that resource. You can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM or text us at 0491-064-669. Have you got another uh, response there for us, Shell? Yeah, I do. This is a really good one. This is kind of a testimony um, from Raphael. I was for 20 years in martial arts and ran two schools with many students. I trained seven days a week, and I was obviously a black belt, and I loved it. I also did many other styles, karate, Chinese styles, including um, different types of kung fu. When I became a Christian, I willingly gave it all up. God replaced my stony heart and gave me a new heart. I did not consider myself a bad person, but what I was doing was not exactly godly. I now have been in ministry for over 30 years. All glory and praise be to God. Oh, very cool story. Thanks for sharing, Raphael. Super interesting to note there, hey, that sometimes we're we're involved in things and not everything that comes out of competition is bad. Right, so he, there was a mention there of discipline, learning some of those skills, but then not everything that was involved in competition is good either. And I suppose the the, the ethical question there is when you're involved in those things, what's what's good, what's not good, and how do you exist in that space in such a way that you either can participate without getting involved in the negative aspects, or to just not be in a space because the negative aspects outweigh the positive. That's a great thought, man. Thanks so much, Raphael. Um, all right, so we're going to jump back into our Bible study now. Uh, make sure you send in your responses. We'd love to hear from you. You can agree, disagree. We'd just love to hear from you. Um, back into Exodus. So they started off strong, and the real question is, well, what's going to happen? Because as we know, stories tend not to stay just in the positive if they're going to be written down. There's, there's got to be some sort of drama, and we're going to find that the drama starts now. So Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, and it reads, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, built for Pharaoh supply cities named Pithom and Ramses. But the more that they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor or harshness, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor or harshness. So check this out, right? So they've gone in. Egypt has been like a land of safety. 
It has been the promises of God fulfilled in a, in, in a sense of, of plentitude and prosperity. But now they've come to a position where the, the, the dynasty of kings who was familiar with Joseph, who had brought such prosperity to Egypt during a time of a widespread famine in which everybody else became subject to the Egyptians, you now have the rise of a new dynasty of kings, and they don't remember Joseph, they don't have the familial uh, t- not, not familial ties, but the friendly ties with Joseph and his family and his relatives. And what they're seeing is that they're seeing, look, here is a foreign people who is living in our land. They are here and they're starting to grow and they're growing so much that they're outnumbering our own citizens. And what we see here is we see, we see a little bit of, of nationalism starting to take place or, or, or perhaps an ethnic, um, sense of pride and, and fear that this other group of people is going to take over in the event of war and side with their enemies. And what's really interesting about this, there's a, there's a bunch of points that just come to my mind out of this. Number one, national security can be used as a justification for evil and oppression, right? We all know this to be true. When, when we get so concerned about preserving our national identity, sometimes in our national security, we can, we can be tempted in order to preserve that to do things that are questionable morally in order to achieve those gains. For example, there's a stark difference between patriotism and nationalism. Patriotism, for example, is defined as the quality of being patriotic, a devotion to and vigorous support for one's country, right? Now, patriotism in and of itself is not a bad thing because how is your your, your nation going to prosper if the citizens of that nation don't have any sense of pride or or, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for, allegiance to. If, if, if you're not devoted to your nation, well, then how can the nation continue to exist or ma- make progress? Nationalism, however, is defined as identification with one's own nation and support for its interests, especially to the exclusion or detriment of the interests of other nations. In other words, it becomes not just, I'm proud to be a member of this society and I'm glad for these things. We want to work towards progress and change and, and to a free society. But also, I actually believe our nation is better and greater than all the others and that we should work to build our nation above and beyond everybody else, even at their expense. And we should put ourselves above because we are better. And you'll notice that there's a stark difference between those two. And what I want to suggest here is that what's going on is, is nationalism and perhaps even an, an ethnic um, pride or arrogance is starting to take place here. And he's saying, look, these people who are foreigners, who don't think like us, look like us, act like us, they're here. And we don't remember the history that we owe them a lot. But what's going on here is that we're going to put them in a position of let's cut them down because we need to build ourselves up. And we need to do so at whatever expense. And so what we see happening here is not just patriotism, but a sense of nationalism. And the problem with nationalism is that it tends to lead people into a position where they are willing to to do things that go against their values and moral principles for the sake of building themselves up and protecting themselves. And so that's exactly what we see. And what's really interesting to note is that this is the total opposite of how Jesus calls his followers to respond. There's nothing wrong with being a Christian, with being a follower of Jesus and having a sense of patriotism. You can be proud to be from Mexico or from America or from Australia or from China, etc. But the challenge is that we are called not to consider our national ties as more important than our moral principles, nor more important than our 
spiritual citizenship. Philippians 3.20, Paul talks about how we are called to be citizens. We are citizens of heaven. We're called ambassadors of God's kingdom. And so there are going to be times where we need to put our, our national ties, our, our, our ethnic ties below and beneath our ties to the kingdom of heaven. And this is, this is a stark contrast to what we need to be doing in our lives as followers of Jesus. It's cool to have cultural diversity. That's excellent. It's cool to have national uh, uh, diversity. That's excellent. It's cool to have patriotism. That's excellent. However, when those things start to become more important than the principles and values of Jesus Christ in our life, we have to really start asking, who is our God? Because that's idolatry. We should be a Christian before we're whatever nation we belong to or anything else. So this is what's taking place in here is the opposite of that. And so the Pharaoh is starting to say, hey man, what we need to do is we need to look out for our national interest. And he starts to, to, to suggest, well, the first layer of this is that we're gonna, we're gonna start oppressing this group of people who is doing well in our position because we're not doing as well because they're growing in ways that we're not. God's blessing them. And so we're going to be in a position where let's start to oppress them, to bring them down, to lift ourselves up. And so they oppress the people of God. And that's what we see taking place in here. One other quick note before we take a break is that sometimes faithfulness to God does not result in acceptance by others, as we see evidenced here, or in material blessings. The children of Israel were still God's people, but they were not prospering now. They were being oppressed And being faithful to God does not always result in earthly, immediate prosperity. And that is not the demarcation of whether or not we're being faithful. We're going to take a break here. This is Anna Weatherup, Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior.
And Lawson, and you can join us every morning on The Breakfast Show. We cover news that matters and do our encounter with God. We also have an intense quiz, great giveaways, awe-inspiring music, and best of all, you can have your say and be a part of the Bracky family. We're live across Australia, so check your Faith FM program for your local airtime. You're listening to Faith FM. Did you know that 80% of Faith FM's operating budget comes from supporters like you? It takes 700 people just like you giving just a dollar a day to keep us running. Visit faithfm.com.au slash donate and partner with Faith FM today. And for just a dollar a day, together, we can reach Australia with life-changing messages of hope.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, just a reminder that you can call in with your responses to our discussion topic if you'd like to make a call in. Or if you have a question for our question of the week, the first caller in today is going to receive a free copy of Praying Like Crazy for Your Kids, talking about God's plans for prayer and parenting. Um, and you can do that by calling in 1 800 324 843. That's 1 800 Faith FM or text us at 0491 064 669. Do we have another response for our discussion topic? We do. So, someone says competition by nature demands that a participant strives to exalt self. This can be a trap as it is the opposite of the character of God. Sport and games can easily become more important to us than God and consume our time with unproductive activities. On the other hand, sports and games can be healthy for the mind and body. The Bible even uses competition as an analogy of the Christian life. That's right. Paul talks about the the pursuit of heavenly things and the pursuit of God as compares it to an athlete preparing for a big event for a race like a marathon for example oh, that's a great thought and I love I love the the kind of the dancing there between understanding that not not all games are 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 bad for you right so for example imaginative play is a part of human development you have to to kind of play in a sense to, to, to be able to prepare your mind to be able to do the real thing in the future so kids play house or they play it work they play it all of these things and having interactive play like that structures get created and you have organization of how do i respond to rules because there are rules in life and how do you deal with all of those things so it's super interesting and i love the i love what uh, i forgot the name of the person who was saying that but thank you for that thought and um, i loved what you were saying about how the competitive spirit when we make it about building ourselves up rather than it being about fair play and giving everybody the opportunity, um, it can become very self-centered and then become quite negative. So it's, it's, it's just a really interesting thing, isn't it? Really interesting topic. 
All right, so we are back into our Bible study. We are in Exodus chapter 1, and we're up to verse 15. So I want you just a reminder, so far, the new king has come in and he said, hey, look, look, these, these people are growing mightier than we are and more numerous. So, so we need to make sure that we, we quell that, um, let us deal shrewdly with them. And so they start to, to put them to more difficult tasks. Instead of just looking after cattle, they're given rigorous, harsh work to do. And when they can, and they're, they're told, well, they're building cities. Um, and not only have they built these two cities, but they find they're still multiplying and growing in spite of those circumstances of oppression. And so they come with a bigger task. And what's really interesting to note is it talks about building bricks and mortar, which are quite plausibly what have, well, it talks, uh, sorry, losing my mind here, losing my words. They built canals in areas in Egypt, which is very difficult work. And in modern times, you know, out of 150,000 workers that helped to build some of those canals, you know, 20,000 of them died in the process. Those are really harsh conditions and difficult to survive in. So it's really interesting to note that that's perhaps the kind of work that they had them doing. So let's continue on. Verse 15 says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Plot number three of whom the name of one was Shifra and the name of the other Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then he, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. (laughs) Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. There are times where... The reality is, and and this is so exemplified in this story, there are times where people are going to do heinous and evil things. So notice, the king's goal, the pharaoh's goal, was to quell the tide of the growing Israelite populace. Right, we want to get, we want to bring these people down. We want to limit their numbers because we're afraid that they will overpower us. They'll side with our enemies. They'll bombard our culture and things will be different and we will lose our authority. And in that fear, all of a sudden, values and morals start to change and shift and go out the window. Step number one, we're going to oppress people with labor beyond what was normal. Step number two, when that was unsuccessful, we're going to do it again to an even harsher degree. When that's unsuccessful, Notice what they've done. The government in this instance, this worldly leadership has started to try and do something that is outrightly, heinously evil, the murder of infants. Not only that, but they're not bold enough to do that outrightly. What they try and do is they try and employ particular people who are in an industry where they can do it without people knowing and get them to do the dirty work for them. Now, what's really interesting to note is that you, you, you can't generally convince a whole society of people to participate in great evils all at once, right? Things, things don't happen all at one time. There is a progression. One sin leads to another sin, to another sin, to another sin. And that's what we're seeing take place here. The other thing that I find fascinating about this is the bold courage of these two women who he is trying to, who the king is trying to, to convince 
to bring into his plot to destroy people by heinous means. Right? So, so check this out. Like, here are the two midwives, and they're put into an incredibly difficult position. The king of the nation says to you, hey, if uh, you participate in your job, this is what you must do. And they're pressured to do an unethical thing, the taking of an infant's life. And in that position, they have two options. Respond in kind, like, 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 like obey or disobey. And this is one of those challenges where civil disobedience is the appropriate response. Because you have to ask the question, whose law are you going to abide by? The law of God or the law of man? So long as those two things are in concert or, or in agreement, then you ought to obey both, right? But when those two things are in disharmony, God calls his people to be faithful to his word, to his laws in opposition to the laws of man. When they are in conflict, we go with God's law. We obey God's commands. And these two women risk their lives. They take personal responsibility for their ethical decisions and can, uh, and I guess put themselves in a position where they're in alignment with God's moral decisions and they put their lives at risk to do so. They could have lost their lives very easily in this position because if the king is not willing to save the lives of, of children, why would he be willing to save your life? Right? And this king is in a position to kill you because he's in the position to get you to kill everybody else. So they are really risking their lives here for the sake of preservation of life and for the sake of obedience to God. And in that, it says that God rewards them for that, for that response. And I think that it's just important for us to remember sin doesn't start just, just in one big leap. Everybody's blinded and confused. It takes place incrementally, and so that means that also our faithfulness should take place incrementally. Let's take a break here. This is Jeremy Camp, Give Me Jesus. In the morning, when I rise, in the morning, when I rise in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And um, let's do one more discussion response. All right. This one is answering our question with a question. Mm-hmm. So this is from Andrew on Facebook. He said, can cultural pride or cultural loyalty keep us from serving God fully? Ooh. I think that you are 100% on the money there. And I think that really relates to what we've been talking about here, that Ultimately, you know, we can have, we can, we can identify with our culture to some extent in the sense of, you know, I've, I've come from America. There, you know, that's influenced who I am. Um, I, I like to surf. There's a, there's a surfing culture, but in those cultures, there's aspects that are okay to associate with and there are aspects that are not okay to associate with. And so in those instances where those are in conflict with the position of God's values and God's, laws or an expression of his values, for example, then in those instances, we need to remember we're citizens of heaven and operate as if we are citizens of, of heaven in those spaces and allow the parts of our culture, the parts of our, our national identity to slip away when they are in disharmony with God's principles. And I mm-hmm. think, yeah, I think that really is a great question. I, 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 that's my answer to it. Um, and I think that really relates in with the story. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for your discussion responses. Just one more shameless plug before we go to a, a, a break, our, our next longer break. Um, our question of the week portion is coming up after the news, and we would love to hear from you to with any question about the Bible or about God or spirituality in general. We would just love to hear anything that you'd like to know more about. We'd like to explore that with you through Scripture. You can do so by calling one 800 324 843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM or text us at 0491-064-669. And our first caller in is going to get a free copy of a book called Praying Like Crazy for Your Kids. And even if it's not applicable to you, maybe you're not a parent, it might be something that you could pass on to somebody that you know and love. So make sure you call in with those. We'd love to hear from you. No question too big or too small for us to consider. All right, so we're back in Exodus and we're up to the last verse of Exodus chapter 1 and it reads... So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And I just think it, this this just exemplifies what we were talking about in the last section. The reality is, who in the world would be able to come into a, in, into power, right, that says this is a new king, this is the start of a new dynasty of, of Egyptian pharaohs, and if you're coming in as a new leader, what are the chances of you convincing an entire nation of people to say, hey, what we need to do today is everyone's going to go out and start murdering infants, right? 
the chances of convincing someone to do that under a new leadership, a new dynasty, just overnight is ridiculously low, right? The chances of them being able to convince all the people, because let's be real, there are people who have morals and values in every culture. Jesus says that I have sheep in many folds and I need to call them. They will hear my voice. They will come together and there will be one shepherd, one fold. In other words, God's got people who are in other cultures, who are in other religions that are seeking for the truth that he says are his sheep and that when they hear his voice, they're going to come in. Now that means that in Egypt at this time, there were people who were good people who were seeking for truth, who hadn't yet discovered all of those things that they needed for God to reveal, just like none of us have received all the things that God needs to reveal to us. So in order for them to get this evil to take place and to convince good people to to go out and murder infants, he had to go through a process of blinding people. Think about this with regards to Nazi Germany, for example. Nobody turns around one day and gets, it gets a whole nation of people to just instantaneously turn the tide and become Nazi Germany and fall in and, and, and support that whole ideology. It took time. It took economic persuasion. It took political intrigue. It took, it took propaganda. It took time for people to say, well, I can go that far. I can go that far. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. Well, you're right there. We are needing to lift ourselves up. Our race is better than the other races. We need to create that superhuman man, right? We're going to become the ideal person. All of that stuff takes time and it takes effort and it goes step by step incrementally. And that's exactly what Pharaoh does here. And we see it repeated throughout history, including modern history. But the reality is God still calls for people to stand up personally responsible for their own decisions in the midst of that. In the wake of all of those things, the people that are rewarded in this story are the two midwives who choose at risk of their own lives to stand up and say, I will not participate in evil. I am going to save the lives of these innocent victims at risk of my own life and limb. And this is what God's calling all of us to do. He's calling all of us to be willing to serve and obey him and his principles even at our own expense, even when it puts us at odds with the worldly authorities, even in those instances, God says, be faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. And notice that it said, they feared the Lord and God blessed them with their own households. In other words, their own families. He blessed them and gave them prosperity. This is Ron and Patty Valent when the Lord turned again. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us. Well, we are glad. We are glad. 
enjoy listening to Faith FM? We'd love to hear your story. Let us know on our website at faithfm.com.au or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au and let's connect today. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Hi, I'm Dragon. Hi, I'm Nigel. And we'd like to invite you to our church, the, the Southern Illawarra Seventh-day Adventist Church. church. We meet every Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m. to study the Bible, followed by our main service at 11.30 a.m. You can find us at 107 to 109 Princess Highway, Dapto. We are in the High Ninja Hall inside the Dapto Ribbonwood Center. For more information, you can get in touch with us on Facebook. Just search for Southern Illawarra Seventh-day Adventist Church. Or contact us on 0402-716-762. We hope to see you soon and stay tuned to Face FM.
of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention? I want to introduce to you this corner of the good and the right Stands a champion robed in white His height exceeds the heavens His weight outweighs the world His reach reaches everywhere His age is evermore He is higher than the highest Greater than the great No one will ever take his power Hometown to enter this arena to raise his hands in victory for me. An angry crowd crucified this king who wore their crown, and they gladly watched their champion going down. Oh, but I will never count him out, for I'm a witness of the day he arose to retain the title. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And Shell, I'm just wondering if you could tell me what time it is. Oh, that was new. That was like a, a, a mashup of both of the ones that we made. Cool. Well, it's time for Question of the Week. Super excited. And um, our first caller in today is J.L. Walker. So you're going to receive a free copy of that book about... Uh, Praying like crazy for your kids. So what's the question that we've got from Mr. Walker? 
or Miss Walker, I didn't think about that. Miss or Mrs. or Mr. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Um, so what is the biblical purpose of speaking in tongues? Is it for the purpose of ministering across languages, or can it be an indication of a person being filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay, great question. Now, there's a number of places that we could look. Um, there, First of all, the... There are only three occurrences in all of Scripture where this is recorded as taking place. That it, It's not indicating that that's the only times that it took place, but there are only three instances where it did take place. I want to note just a couple of things here. So if you are with us, JL, you can turn to, if you've got a Bible that is, you can turn to Acts chapter 2 is the first instance. I just want to highlight a couple of things from these stories. So number number one is in Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 4, it says, sorry, oh, verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared among them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them, that is the disciples and those who were gathered there in the church, uh, as not in a building, but as in that group of people. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then people heard the noise. It says that people started coming around because they were confused because people were gathered in Jerusalem from all over the world. Um, different estimates suggest there were multiplied millions of people in Jerusalem at this time for the Passover feast leading into the Pentecost feast. And when you have this large group of people, they're from all over the place. They speak lots of different languages. It then goes on in verse verse 9, no, sorry, verse 8, and it says that the people said, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Aren't these all uneducated Galileans, right? Um, and then it lists a number of languages, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. So we have here at least 15 languages that were being spoken. Now, that's definitely, clearly, the evidence that's there is there is real physical human languages. Um, the other two instances, there's one in Acts chapter 10, I believe it is. And in Acts chapters 10, chapter 10, Peter has been sent by God to go deliver the gospel to some Gentile, non-Jewish believers. Um, and, and, and to declare the gospel to them so that they may become believers in Jesus. So um, Cornelius is the name of the head of the household there. And anyway, they, they hear the good news of Jesus. They respond in belief. It says that they are filled with the Holy Spirit prior to baptism, by the way, and that they begin to speak in tongues. And what's fascinating is that Peter is then convicted by this experience, and he says, look, can anybody say that we can't baptize these guys because they're non-Jews? They haven't been circumcised. Can anybody exclude them from full participation as followers of Jesus when they've received the Spirit? And it was evidence in exactly the same way as it was before. In other words, they heard languages that they were speaking that those those people could not have spoken. And then there's one more instance where Paul, and I think it's... I can't remember exactly where it is, unfortunately. It's just not in my head. I think it's, uh, I think it's Acts chapter 19 I've got here. And yes, Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to a group of people who have been believers in John's baptism of repentance, but they have not heard the good news of Jesus and the baptism of the Spirit. And in that instance, 
they receive the Holy Spirit, and they also have that evidence by speaking in tongues in, the, in those languages. So those are the only occurrences where that takes place in Scripture. However, there is an occurrence also where the Holy Spirit is poured out, and there is no speaking in tongues, and that's in Acts chapter 3. And this is speaking about Peter and John when they, they sorry, Acts chapter 4, excuse me, and they, they've been arrested by the temple police, don't preach Jesus, etc. And it says in Acts chapter 4, when they come back, it says in verse uh, verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So there's no reference here to the Holy Spirit um, being poured out and speaking in other languages, but just that they began to preach the word of God with boldness. And the second thing to note is they had already received the Spirit and spoken in tongues, but Peter and John are also listed in this group of people who received the Holy Spirit. So the pouring of the Holy Spirit came out multiple times on perhaps many of the same people. So hopefully that helps to get a bit of a context. But there's one other place I'd like to go, and I'm just speaking fast because I'm looking at my time. We've got a couple minutes left, and I want to try and answer that. So if you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it mentions some things. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, speaking about the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, it says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. In other words, different gifts, same Holy Spirit. And then it lists a bunch of gifts, and there are three lists of spiritual gifts in in the New Testament. This is one of them. It says, For to one is given the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another working of miracles. And it goes on. It says, Another this, another this, another this. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So notice, different gifts, different people, same Holy Spirit. At the end of the chapter, it continues, and then it lists spiritual gifts in orders of importance and makes a very important point to answer your question. Verse 27, 1 Corinthians 12, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, and also the interpreting of tongues was in the other list. I just skipped over because for sake of time, the rest of the gifts. But then he says something very, very important in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29. He says, are all apostles? And the answer is no. Are all prophets? The answer is no. Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer to all of those questions is no. Not all of those people, not all, not, no one has all of those gifts, right? And so the point here is that different people receive different gifts. You do not need to have the gift of tongues as evidence that you have been given the Holy Spirit. There are multiple gifts. Not everyone gets all of the gifts. And then the other clarification would be in 1 Corinthians 14, and I apologize, we're running out of time. If you'd like more information on this, text back in and we can send you some more resources on the question. But I want to just highlight in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul then goes on to talk a lot about this particular gift in terms of church organization and order in that space. And remember, these are house churches most likely, by the way. 
So groups of people are coming together, and he says a couple of interesting things. Number one, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says, 13, he says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Why? Because if I speak in a language you don't understand, it doesn't benefit you at all. And then he says, For if I pray in a tongue or a language, my spirit prays. In other words, I can have an attitude of prayer, but I don't have a clue what you're saying. But my understanding is unfruitful. I will pray with the Spirit. I'll also pray with understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with understanding. In other words, we need to understand the language so that we know what we're saying so we can understand what we're actually doing. He goes on later to talk more about this, but the final one is verse 27, and he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue... Oh, sorry. No, let's let's start with verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation... He says, let all things be done for edification. In other words, the spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church. They're not for individual benefit. They're for group benefit. And then it says this, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, each in turn, so not speaking at the same time, and let one interpret. In other words, at most, you're going to have two, maximum three, and they need to speak one at a time, and it must be interpreted so that people can understand what's being said. Verse 28, but if there's no interpreter, and these are strong words, he says, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. And that's a pretty strong word that he says there in terms of the context, which seems to indicate very strongly that the purpose of the gift of tongues is real languages to communicate real messages of the gospel truth to people who don't speak the same language. So that's my that's my case to help answer that question. So I hope that's been helpful to you, JL. And um, yeah, may God bless you with that information. If you'd like more information or anyone else, just text in and we can send you some more information on that. We're going to go to a song here. This is Matt and Josie Minicus, Though I Speak With Tongues. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels Though I have the prophet's gift Though I hold the keys to hidden knowledge Though my faith can mount and shift Without love I am no better Without love it's all for naught Lord you spent your life in loving others What this means I would be taught Love is patient, knows no envy, never gloats when others sin. Love is never glad to see injustice, always wants the truth to win. There's no end to love's endurance, there's no test you cannot face. Lord, you I shall fail without your grace Though there'll be an end to hidden knowledge Visions, raptures, prophecy Faith and hope and love shall last forever While the greatest of the three Without love I am no better 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and it's been great to have you along for the ride today. I hope that you've been able to take some great things out of this Bible study and out of our time together. It's such a blessing to hear some some of the stories that Robbie shared, and um, not me. For those that if you, if you weren't here when when that happened, there was another Robbie on the show today. Um, yeah, so it's come that time of the show where we're going to wrap up, and and I want to just kind of draw out what are some real life applications what can we take from this um, from this bible study that we've done in exodus chapter one we were going to get in exodus chapter two but there was just there was so much good stuff we didn't quite get there so stay tuned for that next week um a couple of things number one it's incredibly important i think for a christian for a follower of god to remember there are times where following god is going to put you at odds with the world around you. There are times where obedience to God will require you to be at odds with government things, with other cultures, with other societies, with your own culture, etc. And and in those times, we can be compassionate and caring and considerate, but we need to be faithful to what God says. Because at the end of the day, if the government's legislation is is requiring you to be unfaithful to what God says, then you got to choose whom you're going to serve. As Joshua says in Joshua, I think it's 24, um, or 20 verse 24, something like that. Oh, Shell? Oh, so I think she was going to tell me the Bible verse, but I couldn't remember what it is. It's in Joshua. Um, I just was like, I don't know if there's actually 24 chapters. Um, but anyway, the point is, you, you have to you have to take a, a choice, at some, make a choice at some point of who you're going to serve. And at the end of the day, as long as the the state's laws are in accordance with God's laws, then I'm then I need to obey the civil laws. But when those two things are in conflict, I I need to choose God's commands over man's commands and deal with the consequences. Um, and that's what these two women did in this story. They chose to preserve the life of these infants, to not murder, to be faithful to God's call, rather than to do that for the sake of their lives. And so I think that's a really profound lesson. We should choose to obey God rather than man when the two are in conflict. Second thing, um, another thing we can draw out of this is that preservation of infant life is pleasing to God. I think that's like life is valuable, right? There was no, there was no, let's, let's keep the peace and, and, and take human life for the sake of keeping the peace here and, and keeping the government happy or any of those kinds of things. The reality is that the life of infants and the life of the developing infant is valuable to God. And we, as followers of Jesus, if you are a father of Jesus, we, we ought to really consider that. There's a human life at stake. We don't have autonomy over anyone else's life than our own. And even that doesn't belong to us. Our own life is not autonomous to us in the sense that we belong to God. And we have responsibility to Him with our own life, let alone the lives of others. Um, what else can we take out of this story? Another thought is that sometimes a child... oh. 
Oh, no, that was, I was going to make a point, but that's from next week. I got a little bit ahead of myself. So we're going to, we're going to look at that next week when we look at Exodus chapter two. But another thing that I think is really significant to note is that God's word can be trusted. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's cool, but where does that come in in the story? And it didn't really come into the story, but, but it's referenced in the story when it says that Jacob's family was here preserved in Egypt and they were there for a long time. And then eventually they became enslaved by the Egyptians right? They've been put into forced bondage. And what's really fascinating to note is if, if you're unfamiliar, in Genesis chapter 15, when, when Abraham enters into the covenant with God, which we looked at last year, he enters into this covenant and God says this prophecy and he says, hey, just know that your descendants, they're going to be, they're going to be in bondage to another nation for 400 years. And the reality is that what we're seeing here is we're seeing the fulfillment of what God had said. He said, hey, that's what's coming, just so you know. And so these people would have known at some level, those who remembered God's word to their 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 father Abraham, to their relative Abraham, would have known God said this was going to happen, but he also said that we were going to be delivered. And so in this time period, those who had remembered God's word should be looking for a soon coming deliverer in the not too distant future because God had given a timeline of when that would take place. And we're going to see that that's exactly the case of what's happening with why Moses is called um, in the story, which we're going to start looking at next week. Some other lessons that we can draw out of this, this story, and this comes up again and again, I think, out of many of the stories we study in Scripture, and that's that sin is never something that goes from zero to 100% in one move, right? Like, the reality is that this, this whole nation started to participate in this heinous evil, this, this murdering of infants, one step at a time. They didn't just all of a sudden get there. And the reality is that we need to be mindful that faithfulness is something that happens in the little things. If we want to be faithful to God in the big things, then we need to be faithful in the little things. Just like if I want to be faithful to my wife in the big things, I need to be faithful in the little things, the words that I say, how I treat her day to day. If I'm not faithful in those things and what I do with my eyes, then how am I going to be faithful with what I do with my hands? You know what I mean? The reality is the, the pathway to sin is, is, is one of progression. And the same is true that the path of following Jesus is also one of progression, right? The walk of sanctification where Jesus is changing my life is not one that takes place overnight and all of a sudden I wake up tomorrow, I've been baptized and boom, the whole journey's cruisy. I'm all sweet. The reality is that we are in a position where we're walking with Jesus hand in hand and it's a learning process. And I think two things that I want to draw out of that that I think are valuable to remember. Number one, be patient with yourself and keep coming to Jesus. You're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to make mistakes, but keep coming to Jesus. Seek, seek forgiveness, confess your sins, repent, watch him lift you up and take you further on that journey and watch the transformation that takes place over a lifetime. Number two, when you look at other people who are on the journey of faith, remember, your expectations on a new believer should not be such that they are going to be perfect tomorrow, that they know everything. It's going to take time. So be supportive and encouraging to those folks. Um, remember that. I think that that's an incredibly important thing that we're, we're patient and generous with people who are learning to follow Jesus because it's a journey for all of us. All right. So those are some lessons, but I just want to encourage you respond to, to God's call for you today. God's calling for you to come into a life of freedom, a life that is free from bondage, but only he can deliver you from that bondage. So keep that in mind. It's only Jesus. And I just want to invite you today, to, if you have not made that decision, or if you need to make that decision again, 
Jesus is willing to take you from the bondage into a free life, and he offers that to you freely. So I want to encourage you, receive that gift today. Before we finish up, we're going to go to uh, a couple of quick notes for next week. So we got drive time coming up. Stay tuned for drive time. And remember that you can come in for our discussion topic. If you want to respond before next week, you can do that by going to our Facebook page or texting in to 0491 And our question for next week is, if you were stranded on a deserted island with only one book of the Bible, which would you choose? So I look forward to hearing your responses to that. It's going to be a great time. And uh, may God bless you and keep you. Remember that real faith is lived faith.